Gentlepersons, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, the audio presentation you are about to enjoy discusses casinos and gambling. We strongly recommend that you do not gamble with money you cannot afford to lose or need to pay your bills. The past performances of our host and his guests are not indicative of anyone's future results. If you think you may have a gambling problem, please contact your local problem gambling hotline. If you do not know your local problem gambling hotline number, send an email to help at casinocombat.com. We will find that number for you and make sure you have it. Everything presented as part of this episode of Casino Combat is based in facts and actual events. Names and dates have been altered to protect the innocent and the guilty. Minor items unrelated to outcomes may be omitted in the interest of brevity and clarity. It is, it's me, it's TRG, the Rambling Gambler. Revested and invested in the constant pursuit of excellence of execution in all aspects of casino gambling. Welcome to episode 73 of our Casino Combat Podcast. This is where jaws will drop and time will stop. I am coming to you recorded live from the luxurious Casino Combat Studios in Parts Unknown. If you've been here before and came back for more, thank you so very much. You are the reason we do this each week. If this is your first time, this podcast is about gamblers helping gamblers Beat the game of casino gambling. Each week we have a variety of segments on various topics and I share stories and observations from gambling that I've done at various times over my 30 plus years of learning to be a semi-professional gambler. Famous professional wrestler Mick Foley wrote in his first book that a professional wrestling program should be like a circus. There should be something for everyone. If you don't like the clowns, hopefully you enjoy the higher wire act or the lion tamer. We try to follow that advice and offer a combination of teaching stories and very real life experiences and results each and every episode. This week, I received an excellent question from my friend and casino ally, the Maharasha of Money. So we will start with the questions my son's asked segment and talk about what he uh, what he asked me about. It's an excellent prompt. After that, I have a new segment for you called What Does the Math Say? During that segment, I'm going to look at an issue I have with the math of a side bet, payout, and tipping. I have a new casino wisdom to share with you during a moment of casino wisdom. As I always do, I will share my gambling results for the past week, along with some observations from those activities. In the virtual VIP lounge, I have a great story for you about a New Year's Eve where Mrs. TRG was fortunate to allow a great dealer to do his job. Before we get to that, let's talk about some things going on in the Casino Combat Galaxy. Inner Circle member, Virginia Casino player Doug, 8th to the ring, sent me an email asking for the links to the crypto trading app I mentioned last week. And that email was quickly followed by a similar request from Gwen313. In response, we've added a crypto page to the CasinoCombat.com website. If you're new, Combat is spelled with a K in the website name, just as it is in the podcast name. On the crypto page, I've provided the links and codes to use when joining either of the two apps I use to trade crypto and some explanations of how the apps are different. Several episodes ago, I discussed setting up a wallet in the MyChoice app and linking the app to a machine to get $40 in free imaginary tax-free money from the MyChoice brand. These apps for trading crypto have similar offers. If someone who already uses the app refers you, you get something free, and the person who refers you gets something free. The one I think is most attractive is the Voyager app. If you join using the code I provide on the website and buy $100 in Bitcoin, you will be given $25 in Bitcoin for free. You can then sell $100 in Bitcoin, Keep the $25 in Bitcoin in the account and take back your $100. As long as the value 
of $100 in Bitcoin doesn't drop by more than $25 during that process, you have a $25 profit. Look, it's a gamble, obviously. You can evaluate the risk. But I've made the links and codes available so you don't have to email me if you want to try making a bet or two on crypto with a small portion of your winnings. Also, I mentioned VCPD is an Inner Circle member. If you're not aware of what the Inner Circle is and how to join, it's a unique group of listeners who have figured out from the clues in the podcast where my home casino is. My home casino is Casino 2 currently. Eight people have figured out the real-world name and location of that casino and joined the Inner Circle. Full details on that in-podcast game are discussed in episode 22. Also, we continue to expand the website. The most recent update includes a section for the Inner Circle, listing the members and providing a brief podcast bio for each. The other thing I want to talk about before we start the first segment today is an article that Inner Circle member East Coast Emissary Forced to the Ring brought to my attention on the GGB Magazine website. I've mentioned this site before. It's for those who work in the casino industry, not for players, but it contains some amazing behind-the-scenes insights that can be useful to us as players. The article that ECE brought to my attention is titled, Table Games optimal utilization. It contains a lot of math regarding how many players per table is best for the casino to maximize profits. And some of it's kind of counterintuitive, at least it was to me. For instance, the article lays out the math to show that from the house's point of view, having six $100 players at six different tables creates more hands per player per hour than the same six players at a single table. And this explains something that has often frustrated me at my local casino especially during the height of the pandemic. On the main floor, the casino would have three or four tables open, each with three players playing and a horde of additional players wanting to play at $25 a hand. There would be plenty of additional unstaffed tables that were locked up. In the high limit room, there would be four, sometimes six open tables with at most one player playing in the entire room and the rest of the dealers standing around arms folded. I was annoyed by the lack of play opportunities and didn't understand why they didn't take two or three of those dealers and open some more tables on the main floor. This article that ECE pointed me to kind of explains that. And then the other thing that both ECE and I were astonished to learn, to discover, to find out, to have revealed, I'd pick one, is that casino security operations have available to them a piece of software called Bloodhound that can calculate the casino house advantage against any specific blackjack player based on actual player decisions. That's stunning to me. The idea that they have software so precise that they know their advantage over a player based on the player's skill at the game. Obviously, not every casino is going to decide to purchase and use that software, and I would expect smaller regional casinos not to take on that expense. But who knows? You know, Maybe they buy it as a brand. More needs to be known, right? We need to find out more about how the behind-the-scenes stuff works. But it's a process. I'm going to flatter myself that this explains why my local casino doesn't care when I can't find a seat and leave. They don't have enough of an advantage over me. They don't. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But we know now more about what casinos know about us, and knowing is half the battle. All right, speaking of battle, on with the battle plan for episode 73. Let's do questions my sons ask. What? What? My sons ask questions about gambling, and listeners ask questions about gambling. My good friends, and sometimes complete strangers, ask questions about gambling. The other day, I received a Facebook private message from my good friend, the Maharaja of Money. He was wondering what I considered an appropriate holiday tip for bartenders at our local casino. If you've been listening for any period of time, you know that I think tipping is something that we should be aware of and do well in our casino gambling. 
It's both a correct courtesy and an important tool that smart gamblers use from time to time. It's also an expense that we should be aware of. I've told the story a couple times of the young man who tipped poorly and tipped away a very nice win. So here are my thoughts on holiday tipping as it relates to the people who take care of us in casinos when we're gambling. The key here is that these tips would be over and above what you normally tip. And you can certainly consider these outside the normal, what did I win parameters that I normally talk about. You can think of this as a holiday gift if you're able to take it out of your regular budget, if that's something you want to do. And in that same context, I think holiday tips should be based on your relationship with the casino worker in question. A random bartender that you have no relationship with isn't someone I would be tipping extra during the holiday season. Any more than I would be tipping a random waitress at a random restaurant in my town extra just because it's December 5th. So let me give you an illustration of situations where I think extra holiday tipping makes some sense. When my local casino had a VIP lounge, and sadly they do not anymore, I got to know the three bartenders that staffed that bar very well. I knew about their families, their backstories, their issues, their joys, their challenges. When the bar was slow, we would talk about life or sports or trips we'd taken. When the bar was busy, they made sure I didn't wait very long for a refill. If a special bottle came in or management mispriced something, I'd get a heads up. I met with some of them socially off hours and outside the casino. You can see, yes, they were casino employees. Yes, I was a casino guest, but we were also friends. We had a relationship. We had a long time relationship. During the holiday season, I'd look for situations where they were manning the bar alone and give them a tip equal to 10 times my normal holiday tip, separate from a drink being poured, and thank them and wish them a Merry Christmas. The key here is when they were manning the bar alone. The alternative would have been to tip all of them when all three were working together. You see, at this bar, the bartenders pooled tips. And this is something you need to be aware of. If four bartenders are working a bar and you only have a relationship with one of them, if they're pooling tips, your tip is going to get divided four ways at the end of the night, if that's how the bar works. The other way you can manage this if they do pool tips is put your tips in Christmas cards. Most casinos will treat that as a gift to the bartender not a tip. And you don't have to like put names on them all, right? You don't have to pre-plan them. Just take X Christmas cards, put whatever you're going to tip extra in them, keep those cards with you. If you have a vest, you probably have a pocket in, in your vest that'll hold those all nicely and then just give them out as you go. And that takes it out of the tip process most places and just makes it a straight up gift. And that's another way to do that. And there are some other ways that you can tip besides just money, or in this case, disguise money so it's not a tip. Same idea, right? I used to have a favorite dealer. We were about the same age. We had similar backgrounds. She was actually the dealer that dealt me uh, my biggest win, or at least most of it when she wasn't on break, and dealt me a couple of other five-figure wins over the years. I knew that she was taking care of some children that her twin sister had abandoned. At my local casino, dealers pull tips across the entire shift for all tables. Extra tips for her at the holidays didn't really help her much. She would receive pennies on the dollar. If that, if I just tipped her, if I just walked by and tipped her 50 bucks and said, you know, Merry Christmas, buy something for the kids. Well, she's not going to be able to buy something for the kids because she's going to get a dollar of that or less. That said, dealers were allowed to accept gifts from players as long as the pit boss moved the gift from the table to the center podium, and then the dealer would grab it on their way on break or whatever and put it in their locker. And the deli in the casino had a big selection of those big movie theater boxes of candy. So a couple a couple times in early December, I would ask a pit boss for a deli comp for lunch, 
And I do that when I knew she was working in high limit, even if that wasn't where I was going to be gambling. I'd just, you know, check and see. And I'd go and use that comp for all the boxes of candy it could buy. And then they'd box up that candy in a larger box. And in between the boxes, I'd put a couple of 20s where they weren't visible. Then I'd take the candy all boxed up to the high limit room and give it to the pit boss to hold for her on the podium. She had one thing less to worry about for Christmas and that being candy for the kids. And she told me on several occasions that she appreciated me working around the tip splitting rules by including the money with the candy. Beverage servers at my local casino don't pool tips. But again, I would base holiday tips for waitstaff off of the level of the relationship. Gabriel's an excellent example, or an excellent illustration, I guess, of this. Yeah, illustration is the better choice. He gambles pretty much only at our local, local casino, only on day shift, only on weekdays. He knows the beverage servers well. They know his drink order. They make sure he gets a better than normal pour. He tips well. He gets better than average service when the casino is busy. I really don't have any of those relationships anywhere at this point. I don't gamble any one place enough to really be tight with any of the wait staff. But if you're like Gabriel, if you do have those relationships, that might be a good place to spread some extra holiday cheer. The other thing I will mention is that when the Maharaja of Money got my answer of how I handled the bartenders in the VIP lounge, he responded that he has seven servers that he wants to give holiday tips to, so maybe ten times his normal tip is too much money total. And that makes sense. The number of people you're going to tip for the holidays certainly is a contributing factor. I suggested to him that with that many people on his list, maybe five times was appropriate, and it certainly was fine and would be appreciated. Saying an extra thank you shouldn't be a budget buster for anyone, and people at the casino and a holiday tip should not have to be a significant part of your holiday budget from my point of view. This is a gesture. This is, doesn't, you know, you don't need to buy them a car and put a bow on it. <laughs> as, far the rest, as far as the rest of the casino goes, there are many possible options. Hosts, slot attendants, valets, people that work in promotions, etc., etc., etc. If you have a strong relationship with them and they do an excellent job on a consistent basis, a little extra for the holidays is a nice gesture. And again, you can't completely base this on your gambling wins or losses, but make tips appropriate to your level of wagering. If you're a $5 Baccarat player who normally tips the waitress a dollar each visit for a bottle of water, an extra $5 as a holiday tip sounds about right to me. So, there is a TRG holiday take on tipping, and a big thank you to the Maharaja of Money for the excellent prompt. As I told you, we have a brand new segment today, What Does the Math Say? Which means T-Rex had to come up with some new transition sounds. Let's find out what he came up with. 3.14159265358897 Virtually everything in a casino is based on math behind the scenes. This is certainly true of the payouts on the various games. It's also true for the various points, gifts, and comps that casinos give to players. I'm hoping to use this new What Does the Math Say segment to look at some specific aspects of math in casinos that may not always be obvious. The math I wanted to look at today is the math of a Lucky George payout. And this may be a new term for some listeners, so let me give you some background. Many dealers and pit bosses privately refer to a player who tips well as a George. Maybe because when the phrase was coined, a $1 bill with George Washington's face on it was considered a good tip. The opposite of a George is a stiff. Obviously, no math involved here. That's just some background. There are some side bets on various casino games that provide a chart near the dealer called the Lucky George Payout or the Lucky George Bonus. This is a tricky and deceptive payout chart. The Lucky George Payout doesn't go to the player 
who wins the side bet. It goes to the dealer that deals the winning side bet. A blackjack trilux table is an excellent example of a game with this rule. The player bets on his or her blackjack hand and may also make a side bet on what's called the trilux. If the player gets his two cards, his or her two cards, and the dealer's card form a straight or a flush or a straight flush or a three of a kind, you know, three card poker, then the player wins between 5 to 1 and 15 to 1 on the amount wagered on the trilux side bet. And the dealer gets paid between 1 and 5 dollars based on what the hand was regardless of the amount of the wager. And that money's a tip for the crew, a tip you as the player have no control over. The dealer, from their point of view, has a lucky George playing at their table and tipping. What does the math say about the lucky George payout to the dealer? It's pretty simple, really. Everything in a casino is based on math, and that includes how much the house wants to make on each type of wager. So the house calculates what profit they need on this bet, and they then calculate that they can afford to pay the player 3 to 1 or $15 on a $5 side bet and afford to pay the dealer on the side bet $2. That means the math says the house can afford to pay out $17 if that bet is won and still make the profit they want to make as the house. So they can pay out $17 and they've decided to pay $15 of that to the player and steal $2 of that payout from the player and give it to the dealer. Let's look at that as an example. Let's look at an example of this. You're playing at a $15 blackjack table and you will go against the advice of your never so humble podcast host and make a $5 Trilux bet along with it. You get a three card flush for a Trilux win and have an eight and a four totaling 12 on your blackjack hand and the dealer has a nine showing. So this is an eight of clubs, a two of clubs, a nine of clubs, that's three clubs. That's a three-card flush. Before you play your hand, the dealer pays you $15 on the Trilux bet, pushes the whole thing back, and puts two $1 chips that the mass says the house can afford to pay out when this side bet wins, and the dealer puts this in a little rack off to the side as a dealer tip. You are plus $15 at this moment on this hand. Basic strategy indicates a 12 against a 9 is a hit. You get a 3 for a total of 15, followed by a 10, and you bust, and you lose $15. What's the net? You won $0 on the hand, and the dealer got tipped. Had the house not taken from you the $2 that the mass says they can afford to pay out on that hand, had they not taken that money from you and given it to the dealers, had the house given you your rightful $2 instead, would you have looked at the outcome of this wager and decided you needed to tip the dealer? Would you have ignored Casino Wisdom number 14 and tipped the dealer your small win from the hand? I mean, I certainly hope not. I certainly hope you wouldn't do that. The math says the house can afford to have you win a small amount of money on that hand, but instead they forced you to tip the dealer. They forced you to tip away your win. At the other end of the spectrum, the illustration admittedly isn't as perfect. If you make a $25 Trilux bet, you get paid 3 to 1, which is $75, and the dealer only gets a Lucky George tip of $2. In that situation, it's less meaningful. But in this case, the math works against the dealers, in my opinion. You see, I know plenty of players that don't tip on Triluck wins at all because the house forces them to tip every time they win, even small amounts of money. So if they make a random larger bet or get paid on one of the rarer payouts, a payout where they would normally tip 5 or 10 bucks if, if there wasn't the Lucky George part of it, they don't tip anything. From my point of view, the house should listen to what the math says and pay the pay player the payout they can afford to pay on the bet. 
the players can decide on appropriate tips for the dealer based on the level of their wagers and their results. Honestly, if I was on a state gambling commission, a state gaming commission, or whatever they called in any particular state, I wouldn't allow games with Lucky George bets, or I would use my vote to vote against them. I shouldn't say I wouldn't allow. It would never be a one-person decision. But I would lobby hard to not allow those games in a state I was helping to administer. I mean, at least unless the payouts were structured so that the house was paying the tips out of their pocket, not out of the player's pocket. Um, And I just thought of another great example of this. Of payout structures, sorry, T-Rex, I know I'm off script, sorry. There are some games that have either a side bet or some type of, in the Carney game, some type of crazy hard-to-get big win like a, a Royal Straight Flush that pays out hundreds or thousands to one. And on the felt where the rules of the game are described, there will be an asterisk next to this payout. And then below the payout chart, there will be another asterisk and the words, other players who wagered on the same hand will be paid a $500 jealousy bonus or a hundred or a thousand. They're rare. I've seen a variety of them. The, the idea is that you get a hand that pays you, let's say $10,000 on top of what you win on the actual hand. The house then pays $500 to everyone else at the table on the theory that they're jealous of your big win. I mean, maybe I think most gamblers are pretty good at getting past being upset because someone else won. Let's say this particular game has six gambling positions. Okay, I'm going to try to do the math. The the house has calculated that they can afford to pay the winning position $10,000 and then pay the other five players at a full table $500 each, a total of $2,500. The house can pay out $10,000. The house can pay out $12,500 when this hand occurs and still be mathematically certain that over time the house will make a profit and the profit that it makes will be a profit that it needs to make on the game. Then... They've decided to give one-fifth of that $12,500 to the other players instead of to the player who received the win. I mean, I mean, look, if, if I as a player want to receive $12,500 and hand out one-fifth of it to the other players, that's my business and I'm a great guy for doing it. And yeah, 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 fine. But, but maybe I'm an idiot gambler and I'm down $12,000 for the day. Maybe I really shouldn't be giving away what I should have just won. And I'm getting wound up, but let's, let's look at this another way. What if this is what they can afford to pay? They can afford to pay twelve five. They're they're budgeted for that. They've set the game up that way, right? But the casino isn't busy or full. I'm playing alone on a Tuesday morning at seven a.m. The house just took money it could afford to pay on a win to the other players who aren't there and kept it rather than handing it out to the rightful winner because there are no jealous players at the table. The math says they can pay that money and still make the money they need. And they just ignored what the math says and basically stole that money from the player. Sorry, that's not fair. They didn't steal it. They took, under the rules approved by the gambling commission, money they could have paid to the player. That's a better way. Anyway, I just thought of the additional story. Um, And I also didn't realize it until now. There's kind of a tie-in between the segment and this segment and the next segment that I didn't plan. And you'll see that in a minute. Um, <laughs> let me get back on script. That was on brand, but but let me get back on script. So three, two, one. Generally speaking, the math says that unless you are counting cards for a specific side bet combination, side bets just increase the house's advantage and should be avoided. We've just seen that the math says that side bets where the house pays some of your win to the dealer and or I guess other players or themselves are really poor bets. That's what the math says. Next up, we will share a moment of Casino Wisdom and discuss a brand new Casino Wisdom.
Today, in our moment of casino wisdom, I wanted to talk about a player option that many players don't know about or take advantage of. As I said at the start of the episode, I have a new casino wisdom for you, and that's casino wisdom number nine. And that is stated this way. The casino is not the final word. There is a higher power. Use it wisely. That's the wisdom. The casino is not the final word. There is a higher power. Use it wisely. And by the way, before we get into it, the Fred 4.6 section of the website has been updated to include this new wisdom in the book of casino wisdoms that you can download from that part of the website. Casino wisdoms are a combination of information about casinos or how casinos operate combined with an action to be taken on that knowledge or information. Let's start with the knowledge or information for this one. It's right there in the wisdom. The casino is not the final word. That's the information you need. And casinos on tribal lands may be an exception to this, I admit. But generally speaking, in the United States at least, and this is true because tribal casinos are not technically in the United States. They're their own sovereign nations scattered out over North America. But in the United States at least, casinos are regulated by some type of gambling commission, state gaming board, gaming authority. They give them different titles. It all comes down to the same thing. They're the people in charge of the casinos. The casinos ultimately are not the final word. There is a higher power. It's one of these governing bodies. That body is the final word when there is a disagreement between the casino and the player. In my experience, all of these boards, commissions, or governing bodies have a problem resolution process, a form you fill out and submit that notifies them that something occurred you would like looked into. As the wisdom teaches us, use this process widely and when it matters in a meaningful way. Although that's subjective, as we will see, I'm going to give you some examples. Example one, in my state, the Gaming Commission has a website, and on that website, you can download the procedures and allowable rules for every casino game. And at the time when 90% plus of my gambling was done in my home state, I downloaded and reviewed the rules and procedures, especially for blackjack. And on a couple of occasions when procedural mistakes were made that impacted large bets in the high limit room, especially when the dealers were all new and the players knew the game better than the dealers, I was able to appeal to the higher power right at the table by pointing out the mistake to the pit boss and getting payouts changed to what they should be if the procedure was followed. I tried to be very polite about it, and I didn't do it for tiny little $15 hands that were not my own, but when we get to hundreds of dollars a hand, I was willing to ask for the state's procedures to be followed. Example 2. Years later, my local casino exited their relationship with the Caesars brand. And when that happened, quality in all areas decreased, in my opinion. And since the casino has a regional monopoly on table games, a certain arrogance set in. An unearned arrogance, in my never-so-humble opinion. It was during this time that I received a notice from their app that I had received a bonus $5 in free slot play that must be claimed on that specific day. And I was working at a client a few blocks away, so while I had not planned to visit the, the casino that day, I decided that for $50, I'd follow casino wisdom number 22 and stop and play my free play on the way home. When I went to the kiosk, no option was available to claim my free play. I went to the rewards club, I showed them the notification in the app, and asked how to claim the free play. The attendant at the desk told me that the notification was an error. The app was new and someone made a mistake. And I said, okay, but I only came here today because of this notification. That's kind of blatant bait and switch. Don't you think you should honor the offer since it is the house's mistake? 
I was told no, and I left without nibbling. And back in my office, I went to the website, the, the Gaming Commission's website, and completed a form explaining what had happened and included an image of the notification. And about 10 days later, I received a phone call from the vice president of gaming or something. I don't remember exactly. But some such fancy vice presidential title. And he apologized. He said the offer should have been honored. And the next time I was at the casino, if I would please stop by the rewards desk, they would add $100 in free slot play to my account. He gave me his contact information, email, phone number, and told me to get in touch with him if there was any problem getting the free slot play added. The higher power had resolved the issue in my favor. The casino was not the final authority. So example three, at the end of the summer this year, the Caesars Entertainment property, the one we really, really did just dearly love, five and a half half hours south and west of our home, kicked me out of the casino one evening and accused me of violating a 24-hour ban they had placed on me earlier in the evening for allegedly threatening a guest and a pit boss. They then called a week or so later to tell me I had $100 waiting for me at the cage from a mistake they had made during a visit at the start of the summer, and they wanted to know if I wanted to come down and get get the $100 and yada, 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 right? When I asked them to mail me a check and an apology for the ban, they refused to mail the money, and they said they would look into the ban and call me back, and then they did nothing. And I gave them a reasonable amount of time to call me back, and when they didn't, I completed the complaint form for that state's gambling advisory board, And a few days ago, it took several weeks, but a few days ago, I received an apology, my check for $100, and a statement that after a review of the events, their team had made a mistake and confused me with someone else on a very busy night in the casino, which is what I had assumed. I had tried in person and over the phone on two different occasions to resolve this directly with the casino. My request fell on deaf ears each time they were not willing to do anything. I involved the higher power and the matter was resolved in my favor. I couldn't get them to check the tapes and check the results and do what needed to be done. And I asked nicely a couple of times, as I said. And that, to me, is an appropriate time. I wasn't really concerned about the 100 bucks, to be completely honest. I, I wasn't going to drive five and a half hours for $100 that somebody made a mistake on that I didn't notice. That's as much my fault as theirs. But I was concerned about the Caesars brand having on record that I had been banned. I, I didn't want that on my reputation because of the larger relationship. I felt that was the reason to get the higher power involved. But as I was saying, you need to be wise in using this wisdom. And that shouldn't be a contradiction in terms. You should not be running the gambling commission because you got a short pour at the bar and no one would fix that. Or because the valet was full and you had to park and walk. I would suggest limiting your request to the Gambling Commission to higher dollar amount issues, incorrect accusations that would impact your reputation or ability to gamble, or situations where you feel the house is unfairly breaking the established rules. Honestly, my complaint over the $50 in free slot play is maybe a little minor and petty. It maybe is, but that said, I strongly felt that they were operating, the local casino was operating from a position of arrogance. Any other casino I've been involved with would have simply made the matter right when I asked, since they admitted it was their mistake. In fact, that reminds me actually of an excellent story that I'll tell you next week in the Virtual VIP Lounge about a casino that handed something similar very, very appropriately and no higher power needed to be involved because they know how to run a casino properly. Okay, little off on the side there again. Uh, The travel segment is next. I'll do some rambling about the rambling I did to do some gambling. 
Last week was a pretty straightforward week. Work was normal, not a lot of family stuff going on that was out of the ordinary. So this, this should go fairly quickly, at least I hope so. I started the week at the horse track with slot machines. I picked up some wine glasses that Mrs. TRG claimed before they went in the Airbnb stack. I played my free slot play, I took my cash, and I left. Probably 25 minutes off the ramp to back on the ramp on the highway. Not too bad. And I was coming back from a customer, so that makes sense. And from there, I was on to my local casino for a cast iron skillet, a parking bet, a parking comp, and three free max bet spins on a slot machine of their choice, not mine. I won about $9 on the, on the free spin, so enough to pay for a drink at the bar. But I noticed that each person in front of me, as they received their payout slip, the promotions person would say, you can cash this at the cage or play it in any of our slot machines. It's a trap. Very well done, casino management. Very well done. Very well played. As players, we need to be smart enough to see what is happening here in this situation. As I said, it's a trap. First off, the presentation of options was deceptive. You could cash the ticket at the cage. That's true. Or play it at any slot machine. Also true. Or turn it into cash at a bill breaker machine and there are a dozen of them scattered all over the casino floor. Literally almost anyone could have walked like eight steps to a kiosk, one of these bill breakers, and gotten cash. But given the information as it was provided, as the information was given to the players ahead of me, lots of people took their win of less than $20 and walked right to a machine and spun it and lost it. This was free money, and the casino convinced them to lose it and give it back. If these players were going to play slots anyway, that's cool. The better approach, in my opinion, would have been to put whatever amount they had planned to gamble on slots, minus the amount they won for free, into a machine and play that instead. Still the same amount of money, but less of the money they brought in, if you see what I'm saying there. I heard the manipulation. I went to the bill breaker, I recorded my free cash in my app, and then went on with my original plan for the casino visit. I played a blackjack table, I played a slot machine, I played two more blackjack tables, all wins. That was my plan, that's what I did. And then, being up well over my goal of one day's pay, I played a fourth machine with a one-half buy-in willing to lose five units to try to win five units. And I came up a little short. Full transparency, I left the table up four and a half units, not five. That's the way things go sometimes. <laughs> Later in the week, I finished up with a client and headed to my home casino, Casino 2, a my brand uh, casino, or a my choice branded casino, I should have said it that way. And that's two and a half hours south and east of my home, but only about an hour and a half from the client. On my previous visit to my home casino, I'd finessed a promotion involving a new wallet feature in the My Choice app to get a bunch of free, tax-free imaginary money, which was a good thing. I had a room comp available for my selected day, but when I called, they were out of inventory and had no rooms to comp. However, they don't have control of the whole hotel, just a percentage of it. So I called the hotel directly, and I was able to pay for a room with free, tax-free, imaginary money. Still a room comp, just a slightly different kind of room comp, and I still have hundreds of dollars of that free money, so it's not like it impacted my ability to use that. So on the first evening of my visit, I had a match bet, had the room comps, as I said, I had an imaginary tax-free money multiplier. Those things are just like gold. I played a losing table before a comp to dinner, and then after dinner, a winning slot machine, and two winning tables before taking a small loss and calling it a night. The next day, on my way out, I received 
another imaginary money multiplier, and another match bet. I also had a couple of interesting things happen during this visit, and I'll share those in a minute. But let's finish the results of the week first and then do some observations on this visit. I finished my, my casino adventure for the day with a trip to my local casino on the way home. I picked up a parking comp, a free bet, and this is kind of the reason I went, a turkey certificate that I donated to a local food bank. I had a very nice table win. It was a great week, one of the better ones in a while. I finished with a total win for the week of almost five days pay. And think back, if you listened to the previous episode, I had winning days Saturday and Sunday in that episode, then started this episode's week with a winning day, then had another winning day followed by another winning day. I'm not quite to a binge level yet that we talked about in a previous episode, but it's been nice, a lot of nice wins, larger than normal wins in some cases. I've been putting money into the various safes, paying some bills, making some small crypto bets. It's been fun to string together wins like this. It's always fun when you string together wins like this, and you need to enjoy them when they happen because they happen a few times a year. And this is also why you have to know how to handle wins, which we talked about previously as well. That's why I'm making sure, oh, one more than a day and a half's pay, better put some in the safe, better go pay this bill. Oh, it happens, you know, another nice win the next day. Okay, better put some money here, better, better park some of this. You'll need it again in the future. A couple of observations from the, the gambling at my home casino. First, this casino is doing the thing where the bill-breaking machines pay out the paper money portion of your winnings and then prints a slip for the change. No one wants to wait in line at the cage for their change so the slips get left behind or dropped on the floor or stacked on the top of the machine or whatever. I know I'm going to the cage anyway at some point. So I collected those slips anytime I found them when they didn't have an obvious owner. I collected $1.64 of other people's change. And if your reaction is TRG, you just told me you won five days pay for the week. What are you doing worrying about $1.60 of other people's change? May I gently suggest that if that is your response, you are missing the point. Think about this. Think about it this way. See if this makes sense to you. The house's advantage at a blackjack table versus a player who uses correct basic strategy is about 30 or 40 cents per $100 wagered. And that depends on the exact rules, but let's call it 40 cents for this discussion. The $1.64 I picked up offsets the house's advantage on $100 worth of wagers at the blackjack table. The house is trying to beat me, well us, out of pennies on the dollar when we play blackjack. Every 40 cents of someone else's abandoned money that I pick up offsets the house's advantage against me on $100 of wagers at the blackjack table. The other events I wanted to share involve casino wisdom number 88, and that is when mistakes happen, let the dealers and the floor do their job. I had two events that, that happened that fit in this category. The first was that my at my first blackjack table just before dinner. Great dealer, fun guy, busy table. So at one point, he has an ace showing, then he turns over an ace. He announces to the table that he has 12. He does, but he also has 2, and he also has 22. He's told us it's 12. He turns over a 3 and announces he has 15, which once again, he also has 5. His next card is a 7. He says, 22, dealer bust, and he pays the entire table. I didn't point out to him that he also had 12. I just accepted the chips he put down and let him do his job. It's not my job to correct him. The next morning, a similar thing happened. My first hand was a blackjack. It was actually the only hand I won at the table. 
The dealer paid my blackjack and collected my cards. I put the chips I won in my win stack and left a single unit bet from my play stack in the circle. That's my next bet. The dealer busted, then went around the table and paid every circle with a bet in it, including mine, even though I had no cards. Again, his job, not mine. I put those chips on the win stack as well. As I said, I lost the next seven hands and left, but thanks to his mistake, I left the table down four and a half units instead of five and a half units because I let him do his job. Casino wisdoms exist for a reason. In this case, the reason is to remind us not to correct the house's mistakes. That's on them. Interesting the way it happens. Interesting when you pay attention to it, how often it happens. And twice in 24 hours is just amazing. Okay, one of my favorite parts of the podcast is next. Let's go hang out in the virtual VIP lounge. A little bit of the bubbly. Welcome to the most must listen to segment in podcasting, the Casino Combat Virtual VIP Lounge, where we have the best virtual everything virtually all the time. If where you are, all you can enjoy is a virtual beverage, please do that. Be safe, be smart. But if you're a place where you can join me for a drink, please do. Please press pause and pour something you enjoy. Today, I'm going to have what I consider the adult version of a juice box. Crown Royal Apple with just one ice cube. Tastes just like apple juice. Just like we're back in elementary school, (laughs) except with a little kick at the end. I once had a pit boss tell me that you might go to a casino and not really see anything unusual. And at any given moment, anything can happen. And I found this to be true. Today, I have one of those stories for you. At the end of 2019, Mrs. TRG and I went to Las Vegas for New Year's Eve. It was our third New Year's Eve visit, and we had done the party in the middle of the strip thing. We had done the private party on the roof of the link to watch the fireworks thing. And we decided just to spend the night drinking and gambling at the Cromwell, one of our favorite places. And we reasoned that even if we had a horrible losing night, we would lose less than the cost of attending one of the private parties, and the drink service would be as good or better. You see, our play in Las Vegas had been rather low that year, so we had plenty of room and resort fee comps, but we didn't have any party comps. We'd had party comps in previous years. What you probably should know, and, and if you do know, I apologize, but what you should probably know is that Las Vegas is a very different place on New Year's Eve. The city closes the strip to car traffic around 6 p.m., and the street becomes just packed with people moving in both directions. And you're going to move the direction the crowd is moving. You're going down the strip toward downtown one way, and you're going up the strip toward the airport the other way, and you are going to go that way because that's the way the crowd is moving, and it's that crowded. There's SWAT teams on each corner, helicopters circling in the sky after dark. Entering the casinos are a little different. Casino entrances where you normally just walk through are now barricaded off, Bags are checked to enter the casino, and many casinos only allow guests with a room key or an upper-tier player's club card for that brand to enter. If you are not third-tier with MGM and you try to go into the Bellagio, they're going to tell you, unfortunately, we are approaching capacity. We are not going to be able to let you in at this time. If you are just a tourist, you are going to find it difficult to get into most of the casinos on the Strip from late afternoon until uh, 2, 3 in the morning, and that can make bathrooms a challenge. As it approaches midnight, similar things happen with drinks. What the waitress will bring you and the, the container that it comes in often starts to be based on the tier of the card that you can show her and that you know you should show her when she takes your order. Because you know, take a place like the Flamingo, right? On your average Tuesday morning, if you order a Tito's and Cran, you're going to get a Tito's and Cran. It's going to come in a relatively nice glass. On New Year's Eve, if you order a Tito's and Cran and you don't show a third or fourth tier card, 
you're going to get generic vodka in a plastic cup and a, and a, and a low-end pour because they are pouring so many drinks for so many people that random tourists who don't know what's going on are going to get really subpar drink pours and drink service. So you show them your card, you get served just fine. The bottom line is that on New Year's Eve, what you can and cannot do very much depends on your tier status. As Mrs. TRG and I settled in at a blackjack table at the Cromwell, the dealer says, Hi, TRG. Good to see you again. It's been a while. How are things back home? How are the boys? And I looked. I looked again. I said, Dave, is that you? Dave, I barely recognize you with the beard. It looks good. You transferred back here? You see, Dave had transferred from Las Vegas into my local casino as part of the Caesars brand when it opened, and he was there to hire or to help train new staff. And when the casino left the Caesars brand, he stayed with Caesars and went back to Las Vegas to keep his benefits and his retirement and all those types of things the same. Dave was an excellent dealer. At my local casino, he was often a dealer in high limit. He had dealt to me on a variety of occasions. So the table fills up quickly, two other customers and Mrs. TRG and myself. So it's a nice group, right? It's not random. It's not breaking up. It's relatively small, smart players. No one smoking. We're having a very fun evening. But our options for changing tables after 10 p.m. was very limited. And Mrs. TRG was not winning. And New Year's Eve or no New Year's Eve, she doesn't like to rebuy and stick around a losing table. And so I'm seeing our options aren't very good. I'm a little worried. And at this point, she makes a, a larger than normal wager. She makes like a two-unit wager. And that, you know, normally about a one-and-a-half-unit wager, despite my coaching, that's as big as she's going. She makes like a two-unit wager. She's clearly all in, not looking good. And she gets a total of 10 against a dealer's two. And she doubles. And as she's doubling, she gives me her, I'm doing this because you tell me I should, but I'm not happy about it look. So now I'm on notice, and she gets a 9 for a total of 19, and now she's fairly happy. I don't recall the exact sequence of cards. I don't. But the dealer puts together some combination of aces and twos and threes and builds a six-card 20. And as he's paying and collecting the bets, he pays Mrs. TRG and pays her double. And she leans over, and she whispers to me, What does he have? And so I whisper back, He has 20. And then he leaned forward, and he whispered, it's fine. No one will care. Happy New Year. Enjoy the game. <laughs> Please tip your waitresses, tip your bartenders, tip your dealers. If you have a host, tip your host, but don't tip away your wins. I have spoken. Everything you heard here is true from a certain point of view. It's time for leaving, and I hope you understand I was born a rambling man. Love it. Hate it. It don't matter. Please share with your family and friends. Goodbye, everyone. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it.